Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs, so the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into all your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come upon you, on your people, and on all your servants. So again, this happens. Frogs coming out everywhere. You go to bed at night, got to wipe out the frogs out of the covers first, right? Then lay down. I don't know if you've ever gone to Puerto Rico, right? The noise of the frogs all night long. That's all you're hearing, just frogs everywhere. But they're not outside. They're in your room, right? You wake up, you want a smoothie in the morning, got to dump out the frogs out of the Vitamix first, unless you want extra protein or something, right? You got frogs everywhere. All because Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, and he's not willing to submit and humble himself before the Lord. Then we looked at verse 7. The magicians did so with their enchantments, and they brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. That many times we are going through our bad decisions and what we're reaping because of our bad decisions. And now the two things we could do is we could either turn to the Lord and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm going to turn, I'm going to make a 180, and I'm going to follow you from here on out. Or we try to cover it up, and when we cover it up, it creates more problems, right? We try to do other things. Oh, let me go around this. I don't have to say I'm sorry. I'll just buy flowers or buy a ring. Or I don't have to humble myself. I'm just going to do something different. And all the magicians could do was create more frogs. All they could do was create more blood. They could not solve the problem that was there because the only way to solve the problem was to humble Pharaoh, to humble himself before the Lord. Pharaoh, he cries out, he calls for Moses and Aaron in verse 8, and he says, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I, it's not the first time he lies here, it won't be the last, I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And then we looked at this in depth last time we were together. Moses says, hey, I want you to know it's God, so you tell me the time and place that you want all the frogs to go away. And what's Pharaoh's reply? Tomorrow. Just a little longer. I, I like that cool, mushy bed. Just, just one more night of that, right? One more night of all the frogs outside. One more morning of opening the oven and getting spooked by a jack-in-the-frog, right? Not a jack-in-the-box, but man, frogs popping out everywhere. And for us, again, that's the same reply that the Lord gives us. Hey, do you want to be freed from your sin? You tell me the moment. You tell me the hour you want to be freed from your sin. Your anxiety, your fear, your depression. Hey, you, Zach, you tell me when you want to be freed from that. You just have to humble yourself. You just have to turn to me. You just have to dedicate your life to me. And I promise I'm going to give you a new name. I promise I'm going to give you a new heart. Hey, Zach, when do you want that? Oh, Lord, tomorrow. Lord, there's this really big party coming up. Lord, right, right after that party, I'll, I'll change. Lord, this big business deal is about to happen. i got to move some numbers around. And Lord, right after that, I'll change. Again, that the Lord, he cries out, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, choose for yourselves today who you are going to serve. And the Lord, he cries out today, right? Later on, hopefully, man, if you want that renewal with the Lord, if you want that relationship with the Lord, Today is the day of salvation. Verse 12, now we begin to go through chapter 8. Moses and Aaron, they go out from Pharaoh. And Moses, he cries out to God concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died outside of the houses, right? Grace of God. The frogs died outside the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I don't know if you've ever had a, a bird die in your attic, or one possum, one rat die in, in your crawl space, right? How the smell, the stench invades your whole home, right? And you cook, and all you taste is dead, whatever is stuck in your house, right? Now imagine hundreds of thousands of millions of frogs, everywhere 
don't know when the last time you went to the, the, the city dump was, the landfill. Just imagine dead frogs, right? Think of one of the last big hurricanes. I forget which one, but there was down trees everywhere. Everybody cut up their trees, and it looked like everybody had, like, walls of dead trees around their homes. And just heaps, piles of dead frogs everywhere. And the stench throughout the entire land. And now what would you do? The Lord, he's already struck the Nile River. Now there's been frogs everywhere. You have the stench. Every morning you wake up and you smell it out there, right? What would you do? Would you humble yourself? Would you turn to the Lord? But in verse 15, it tells us what Pharaoh did. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and he did not heed them. As the Lord had said. When he saw relief, and we can look at Pharaoh and we can say, man, what a dummy, right? How hard do you have to be? How prideful of a man do you have to be? But family, if we're honest, hopefully you can see a lot of yourself. I see a lot of myself here with Pharaoh. We fall prey to this so often. We make bad decisions. The consequences of our decisions, they seem dire. They seem bad. We pray for grace and mercy. Sometimes God answers and now those consequences are diminished. And then how do we respond? How do we respond after that? All right, maybe you forget middle school or high school, right? Forgot to do that homework assignment. Forgot to study for the test. Dear God, please, I promise this will be the last time, right? Was it the last time? You're late for work. You know, if you get there late, you're going to get written up. Lord, help me get to work on time. God, I promise this will be the last time, right? How often we do that, but it gets even worse. Sometimes we come to the Lord for miracles in our life, and he answers them, and yet we still walk away from him. I had sometimes there's families, they're praying for a child, praying for a child, begging for a child. The Lord does a miracle. She gets pregnant. They have more kids, but a few years later... They won't even bring the kids to church. They don't even bring the family to God anymore. Even after they said, man, that's our miracle baby. The Lord healed us, right? Marriages are in trouble. Kids are walking away from the Lord. And we cry out to God and he answers. Yet when there's relief to our consequences, when there's relief to the evil of this world, we're so quick to turn away from God. I don't know if you remember September 11th or if you were saved around there, but... I remember the next day the church was packed for a prayer meeting. All the churches were full. You had politicians singing and praying, God bless America. And now, right, they're lighting up the White House, the Empire State Building for abortion, for homosexuality. What has happened? It was was a while ago, but it's not that while ago. We turn our hearts away from the Lord. The moment there's relief, we walk away from him. Family, that's why it's so important that we come to God, not to just fix our problems, but to come to the Lord for a genuine relationship with God. You see, the true problem is that sin is going to be an ongoing problem until we see Him face to face. And the only solution for that sin is to walk in obedience with God each and every day. That's why it's a relationship. That's why it's a friendship. And we're going to see this dangerous pattern is going to continue in Pharaoh's heart and in Pharaoh's life. A pattern of asking Moses to fix the problem, promises to release them, but then he changes his mind the moment the problem doesn't seem as grave. It will become easier and easier to do so. So dangerous for us as well. Got to come to the Lord, not just when it's difficult, but when it's easy, when it's difficult, when it's sunny. When it's rainy, we need to continue to come to the Lord, right? Sometimes parents do this with our kids, and it's, it's bad, right? I'm going to give you a spanking if you don't do that, right? I'm going to take away this if you do that. And the first time, right, they straighten up. But then they know, hey, I do it, and there's no real consequence. So you got to say it two times, then they straighten up, right? And it just progresses. It gets worse and worse. we got to stick with the Lord and walk with him. The third plague here in verse 16 So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod. He struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man 
and on beasts. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever had lice before. I've heard it's pretty bad, right? Haven't had it. But your life changes. All of a sudden, you've got to buy super expensive shampoos, conditioners, right? You're picking out everybody's hair. You're looking through everybody's head. All the boys are getting buzz cuts, right? Got to wash all the sheets, all the hats. You got to completely change your life. But now, not just lice on one person or on one family, but all the dust of the land, right? Think of all the dirt in your backyard, all the dust under your bed. Lice, right? Everywhere. And as we look at the Hebrew here, it's not just lice that it's speaking of, but it's small airborne insects. It's lice, mosquitoes, and gnats all over the people and all over all the cattle, all the animals, right? And this is the first plague that comes unannounced to Pharaoh, but they knew who made it happen. They didn't just say, hey, this is just a random occurrence. Hey, what happened here, right? Too bad the frogs didn't come after all the lice and flies, right? And this, again, the Lord, he's pinpointing each and every one of the Egyptian gods, their sacrificial system. David Guzik, he says, the plague of lice was on every beast. And now the gods of Egypt, they would not receive the sacrifice of a lice-infested animal. So this stopped, this paused their sacrificial system. Again, the Lord, he's touching all their gods one by one. And he's working on them. He's saying, are you going to believe in these gods or are you going to believe in me? Verse 18, now the magicians so worked with their enhancements to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and on beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. We see at this point, Pharaoh's own magicians could not replicate or fabricate this one. They even speak some truth to him saying, this is the finger of God. And this is the Hebrew word Elohim. They're not willing to say, hey, this is Yahweh. This is the I am, the God of Moses. They're just saying, hey, this is a godly realm. We can't do this. We can't work on this. And one of the things for us to look at here is Satan's power is limited compared to God's. And that should bring us some comfort. That, hey, Satan's power, it's not the same as God's. The magicians, they could turn sticks into snakes. They could turn water into blood. They could even summon frogs. But now they were simply out of their league. They couldn't hang with God anymore. Just as Satan, he's not Jesus' brother. They're not twin brothers separated at birth. No. He was created by God and then fallen away from God and his spirit. The battle that we're going to see is... Again, it would be a pretty, wouldn't be a pretty boring movie, but it would be a boring scene, right? A big culmination for us. But at the end of Revelation, Jesus and Satan, it's not like a huge knockout, dragout fight. He just simply speaks, and it's over. It's done. And what's the cost here of Pharaoh's pride and stupidity? At this point, is there any rational reason why he would still be fighting God? Right? At this point, I don't know about you, would you be willing to say, uncle, right, you got... Piles of dead frogs outside your house. You're covered in lice and mosquitoes, gnats everywhere. It's bad when you're riding bike or running and you hit a cloud of gnats, right? And you're, right? you're spitting them all out of your mouth. It reminds me, we go to the ranch and we used to go to the ranch in the summer and we would camp out. That's the way it was, it was hard. It was crazy. Uh, but good memories. And for whatever reason, we'd always get there in the middle of the night. The ranch is out in the Everglades in the middle of nowhere in the summer. It's like... 90 degrees outside, 100% humidity, and 100% mosquitoes, right? And we'd have to unload all of the bags, unload all of the groceries, and it was a sight to see. Because the moment you turn on the lights so that you could see, just instant clouds of mosquitoes hitting you, right? Gnats hitting you everywhere. And it's not a pleasant place to be. So Pharaoh's here. He's covered in gnats. He's covered in mosquitoes. His wife is covered in gnats and mosquitoes. And yet he's going to continue to harden his heart. And is there any rational reason at this point? Is there any rhyme, any reason that you say, oh, because of this and this reasons, yeah, I wouldn't obey the Lord either? No. And the same is true for us at this point of our lives, at this point of knowing God, if we are deciding, Lord, I'm not going to follow you. Lord, I'm going to submit to my own pride. There's no rationale. There's no reason. What has been the cost of Pharaoh's pride and stupidity at this point? 
the Nile River, all the water turned to blood. We looked at it, all the fish in the Nile River dead in a moment. That entire fishing industry is done. It's over, right? The entire stock market, a whole chunk of the stock market has completely crashed, not a little bit, no, to zero. No fish in there. Frogs appearing everywhere, right? Dead frogs, dead piles of frogs everywhere. Now they have swarms of lice, mosquitoes, and gnats all over the people and livestock. Is there any rational reason why Pharaoh would still be unwilling to submit to God? The same is true for us, family. It's our pride. It's our emotions. It's our disobedience. And there's no rationale behind it. James chapter 4, verse 10, you can write it down. It tells us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Just humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and he's going to be the one to lift you up. There's no reason when we go against God. And the cost of Pharaoh's pride and disobedience, it's only going to grow every time his heart is hardened. Every time his heart is hardened, every time God works in his life and instead of submitting and humbling himself before God, every time he hardens his heart and he says no again to God, the cost only gets more and more expensive. Right now it's all the fish. Later on it's going to be all the cattle. Later it's gone, it's going to be all the vegetation to the point when it's going to cost him his firstborn son. Family, the same is true for us. There's no rationale when we go against God and his word. I encourage you, submit yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He promises he's going to lift you up. Verse 20, we come to the fourth plague here, and it's the plague of the flies. Verse 20, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. It seems to us at this point, Pharaoh, he's beginning to ignore Moses in a sense, right? He knows whenever those two guys come into his throne room, it's just bad news. So he's just saying, hey, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to see them. Think of little kids, right? When they want to ignore you, they don't even look at you. They put their hands in. Pharaoh, he wants nothing to do with Moses. So now God tells Moses, hey, you get up early in the morning and you wait out there for him when he comes out to the water and tell him, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people into your houses the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. We can turn to Psalm 78. And here in Psalm 78, it gives us more detail on all the things going on here within Egypt, within these ten plagues. What did it look like? more detail on what's going on. And in the King James Version specifically, in verse 45, we'll, we'll read it from verse 43 on, and it gives us a little bit more depth of what's happening. Psalm 78, verse 42. It says, They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned the rivers turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. In the King James Version, it tells us that he sent diverse sorts of flies among them. So it wasn't just flies. And here in Miami, we get these like small fruit flies, right? I don't know if you call them wasasas in Spanish or what, but it's just small, tiny fruit flies. If you've ever been out in the wilderness or by cattle, right, you get these horse flies, right? And it's not fun when one of those lands on you because they bite like a horse, right? You get a huge welt, and that's one of them. Now imagine swarms of them. But hey, it gets better, right? 
diverse sorts of flies. Robert Jameson, he says, it's the gadfly, which is those giant, huge horse flies, the cockroach, right? We're in Miami. Cockroaches, it's one thing, but the moment they fly, it's like level 20, right? <laughs> What's one thing is on the floor crawling around. I could flying woof is a whole new level, right? And the Egyptian beetle are all mentioned by different writers. They are very destructive, some of them inflicting severe bites on animals, others destroying clothes, books, plants, everything. And the worship of the flies, particularly the beetle, was a prominent part of the religion of the ancient Egyptians, right? We talked about the beetle last time we were together, the scarab, whether it's in Aladdin or the mummy, whatever old Egyptian movie you're watching. And they would worship these things. Now the very thing they're worshiping, it's attacking them. It's biting them. He continues, the employment of these winged deities to chastise them must have been painful and humiliating to the Egyptians. While it must have at the same time have strengthened the faith of the Israelites in the God of their fathers as the only object of worship again imagine for the egyptian people it's bad when you see one cockroach or two cockroaches, but now swarms of cockroaches in your homes mixed together with some horse flies to bite you mixed around with some big beetles uh, when we were out in headwaters in virginia every few years they get these weird bugs they're called uh, cicadas or cicadas and they come out every few years it's super weird but they're basically like a demonic looking bug it's literally what they look like. Don't be Googling it on your phone now. Check it out later. But it's like a demonic looking bug. And they just make this hissing noise that just sounds like there's a cloud of mini fighter jets everywhere, right? And you're hearing it. You're going to sleep and you're hearing the hmm outside. And it's just gross. It's disgusting. But now they're all over the people. They're all over the cattle. And yet, what does the Lord do? He separates his own people. He says in verse 22... In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Every pastor I listened to, they told the same joke. They said this was the world's first no-fly zone. That joke for the morning or afternoon, right? The 9 a.m., they liked them more than you guys. It's okay. It's okay. But again, the power of God. This is the first plague that we see that there was no consequence to the people of God. And the Lord, he was using this to draw Pharaoh, to draw the Egyptians, to even draw the Hebrew people to jealousy. Seeing that the Lord, he is God and in his working, he blesses his own people. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11 and man, such an important truth for us today. Such an important truth for us today. Romans chapter 11. We'll look at verse 11 through 15. And it tells us, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Here what God is telling us is that Jesus First and foremost, he came to save the Jew first. The Jews, they didn't want him. So now the Lord, he turns and he goes to the Gentiles and he begins to save them. And what it began to cause was a jealousy within the Jewish people. And that was the hope here in Romans. That the unbelievers would be provoked to jealousy after seeing the people of God living their lives with all the blessings we have that only come from the Lord. Just the same for the Egyptian people. Again, imagine being an Egyptian at this time. You haven't heard from the Lord yet. This is the first time you see of him or of the Hebrew people. You got cockroaches all over your house, flies all over your house. And you walk by Goshen and it's just quiet over there, right? 
and you walk by the border of Goshen and you're covered in bugs and you just take a step over, right? And it's just peace. It's just stillness. It's just quietness. And family, that same jealousy should be happening in the unbelievers around us. Does your life provoke jealousy to the unbeliever? Not your job, not your stuff, not your social media account, not how amazing your Thanksgiving dinner was, but the things which can only come from the Lord. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, and here we get a heavy-duty, man, just blessing from the Lord, a dose of reality of the promises, the blessings that we have from the Lord. Are we provoking this world to jealousy, the unbelievers around you? Are they provoked to jealousy looking at your life? The relationship we have with the creator of heaven and earth. The friendship we have with the savior of all mankind. Is there jealousy? The hope that we have that this world is not our home. The truth that our citizenship is in heaven. Does the world look at your life and say, man, I am jealous of that. Do they see your family, your home life, your kid's life and say, man, I wish I would have had that. Romans chapter 8, it goes into even greater depth. Chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And it tells us, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Family, we have so much for this world to be jealous of. So much. The problem is that many of us don't see it. Many of us don't realize the amount of blessings our lives have despite our earthly possessions, despite our health, despite the moment and the things that we're going through today. You as a believer have so many things for this world to be jealous of. Have we forgotten it? Have we forgotten the worth of what we possess? Have we forgotten the worth of the one who holds us, who possesses us? Have we forgotten these things? The world should look at our lives with jealousy. How do you have that peace? How do you have that calmness? How are you still going to church? How are you still having Thanksgiving with your family, right? The world should look at us with jealousy. Family, may we not forget The Lord, he wants to do something great in our life. And in heaven, you're not going to be missing anything here on earth. We're not going to be missing one thing here on earth when we arrive in heaven. F.B. Meyer, he says, If we only will let the Spirit of God work unhindered, he will effect an inward division. Our tastes and desires, our hopes and our aims, they will become different. And we shall be aware of a growing dissimilarity between ourselves and the world. Family, when you see the news, when you see people around you, are you left scratching your head saying, what in the world is going on? Am I on Mars? Like, what's happening? Do you see the difference between you and the world? 
the hungers, the desires that you have, this can only happen when we let the Spirit of God working unhindered in our life. If not, what we will strive to do and be is just like the world. And that's exactly what God's Word tells us not to do. As believers, don't fall for the same lie that's been told the last 20, 30 years within churches that we need to be like the world. We need to be, look like them, be relevant like them. We need to be cool like they are. We need to feel like they feel. We need to be as smart as they are, as intelligent as they are. We need to be as caring and concerned as they are. That is a lie, family. We are called to be salt. We're called to be light. And that is what the world craves. The world craves truth in this season. The world craves hope in this season. And as we live our lives, the people around us should be jealous. They should be jealous at the salt and light that you have going on in your life. And the Lord, he still makes a great difference between his people and the people of this world. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at verse 4 through 7. Amen. The promises of God for the believer, for his sons, for his daughters, for those of us who have been adopted into this family that we have no business being a part of. There's hope. There's promises. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. It tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Family, is that where we're at? Are we rejoicing in this season, right? Maybe you're going through a difficult season and maybe this is the best season ever. Are you rejoicing? Are you able to realize, are you able to pull out the scales and say, Lord, you have given me so much. I have so much to be thankful for. Are we praying? Are we giving supplication to the Lord? Are we showing thanksgiving? Because if we're doing verse 4 through 6, that's when the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Evil things happen when we're not grateful. When we're not thankful. When we're just looking around at all that we don't have. We can do bad things. We can do evil things. But now when we are being clothed with thanksgiving. With prayer. With supplication. God's peace. Which surpasses all understanding. It's going to guard our hearts. And it's going to guard our minds. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Again how the Lord he's called us to be different from this world. 1 Peter chapter 2. We look at verse 4 and 5 and 9 and 10. Verse 4, it tells us, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 and 10. But you are, family, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That last part in verse 10 to me is so important for us as believers. Do you remember the day, the hour, the minute that you realize that God's mercy has been poured out on your life? Do you remember that moment? That's a life-changing moment for a believer. When you realize the wages of my sin, all that I've paid for, my clocking in and out, for sin and all the death that I deserve. And yet God sent his only son to die taking my place. Do you remember that moment? If you have never had that moment, again, today, pray that the Lord would do that work in your heart. And that's how we're able to be thankful during tough times. It's remembering, Lord, you've saved me. 
Lord, I don't deserve you saving me. I don't deserve you saving my family. Lord, I don't deserve you allowing me to be a part of a good church. Lord, I don't deserve these things. And that helps us, that enables us to be different than this world. Again, we are not to look like them or be like them. We are to be something completely different. And just like in verse 4, he was rejected indeed by men, but he's chosen by God and precious. We're supposed to be the same family. Christian, right? Little Christ, rejected of men, but chosen by God and precious. That's the way we should be living as a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people. Again, within religiosity, some people try to create a stark difference by the way they dress, right? You see someone Amish and you just know they're Amish, right? The way they dress, they got the cart, they got the buggies, kind of like the joke of 2020. Do they know everything that's going on, right? Because the moment you go outside, it seems like everything's normal when you're by yourself and just outside. But man, they look different based on their dress. We are to be different based on our lives, our decisions, the way we make our decisions, our morality, our holiness, our truth. It should be different. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, this is Jesus speaking to us. This is Jesus describing to us the way we should be living, the way that we should be acting. It's not like this world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And he tells us, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, family, are we salt? Are we light in this world? I don't know if you've ever had a piece of meat that has no salt, no seasoning, and then you take a bite of something that is well seasoned, has salt. Again, there's a huge difference there. I don't know if by accident you've poured salt into your coffee before, right? Huge difference there on what it tastes like. And we're to be that stark difference. That's who we're to be. I like sleeping in a room that's completely dark. I got blackout shades. The moment light comes in the room, it's blinding for a couple seconds, right? What's going on, right? And it's just blinding. That's the light that we're to be. A light in a dark world. Is there any difference within our lives? Does the world look at us with jealousy because of the one who has obtained us, the one that cares for us, the one that loves us? Again, we are to be a holy nation, a chosen generation. Family, may we be as different as the Lord would want us to be. Family, may we be as different as the Lord would want us to be. Sometimes there's People in retreats and they sense the Lord is doing a calling on their life. Like they should stop watching movies. They should stop playing video games. They should stop having social media. And it's sad because sometimes other Christians will tell them, hey man, that's too crazy. You don't, you don't have to give all of that up. You can still follow Jesus and not give that up. No family, may we be as different as the Lord would want us to be. Allow the Lord to convict you and say, as for me and my house... We're not going to have this. We're not going to do this. I look at it now, I laugh, but as a kid, it was, it was hurtful, right? As a kid, there was no Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me because they evolved. That's why my dad said, you can't watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? They evolved. We're not going to have that in our house. As a kid, oh, oh, no, not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, I can care less, man. What's the small things that God is calling you and your home to give up? What are the small things? What are the big things? Again, we don't become more holy because of it. God doesn't love us more because of it. But we're just trying to show the Lord, Lord, I love you and I'm willing to give up X, Y, Z in my home. Verse 25, we go back to Exodus chapter 8. Pharaoh here, again, dealing with all the swarms of cockroaches, swarms of flies. Says it covered the earth. And imagine walking around and either you're making big crunches everywhere you go or... 
They're like flying around every time you take a step. You can't see who people are. They have a mask of cockroaches and flies all over them. So now verse 25, Pharaoh, he's the one. He goes, he calls out Moses and Aaron. And he says, hey, go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. If you're looking for some archetypes here in chapter 8, Egypt is a type of the world. That's why God's chosen people, the Lord is commanding them, the Lord is using Moses to free them and take them out of the world to the promised land where God has set up for them. Pharaoh here, he's a type of Satan. He doesn't want to let go of God's people. But ultimately, who's the one that has the power? It's the Lord. It's God. But here, what Pharaoh's doing, it's no different than what the enemy does with us today. Pharaoh is trying to get Moses to compromise. He's just trying to get him to compromise. Okay, Moses, all right, you have your way. Get rid of all these bugs And would you just worship here? I'll give you guys a holiday and you guys can worship here in Egypt. Moses right away, now it looks like he's he's ready to go. Moses is ready to fight, right? He's telling him point blank what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. But Moses points to the fact that, hey, if we sacrifice, if we were to kill cows and bulls in the middle of Egypt, there'd be an uproar. There'd be a riot. Just like, again, Hinduism. You can think of being in a mosque, right? Imagine if someone would kill a pig in the middle of a mosque. If someone would slaughter a cow in the middle of India, there would be an uproar. And here, that's what he's telling them. Hey, we can't kill these animals and sacrifice to our God. These are your gods. There's no way that will be able to happen. We will go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And throughout the next few plagues, Pharaoh will continue to try to get Moses to compromise. Hey, Moses, let's make a little deal here. Hey, you, man, just sacrifice here to God within Egypt. In verse 28, he'll tell him, hey, go sacrifice, but stay close. Don't go that far away. And Pharaoh, he desires to cause Moses to compromise just as this world and Satan wants us to compromise. All right, you get saved and the battle goes on in your head. All right, you could be a Christian, but just don't get weird about it, right? Hey, be a Christian, but just stick to the holiday package. Christmas and Easter, that's all you need. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. Right? Hey, you could go to church. You could sing, but don't you dare close your eyes or lift your hands, right? Everyone else will be looking at you weird while your eyes are closed, right? And the enemy's always trying to get us to compromise. Hey, you could be saved. You don't have to deal with hell, but don't you tell anyone else about Jesus, right? Hey, you be saved, but all your coworkers, don't tell them anything. Let them all go to hell. But you, you're saved. You're fine. But don't allow yourself to put yourself out there and talk about Christianity and talk about the Bible. There are these compromises that the enemy is always trying to get us to give into. But if we look at the truth of it, he's trying to get us to be slaves a little while longer. He's saying, hey, okay, you you could be saved, but why don't you stay 80% my slave? Hey, you, you could be saved, you could be free, but just stay 50%. Hey, hold on to these hobbies, hold on to these bad habits so that you could be my slave for 15% of the time. Whenever you feel down and sad, then you could be my slave. That's what the enemy's trying to tell Moses. That's what the enemy tells us. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, that is the true attitude of the man of faith. Evil is always suggesting some type of compromise. To listen to it is to remain enslaved. The only way into liberty is to leave the land of evil. To go accompanied by the women and by the children and to take all the property also. It is when that attitude is assumed that men pass out from all bondage and will find the liberty which is in the purpose of God for them. Family, you know God wants you to be free here this morning. He wants you to be completely free from fear, from anxiety, from depression. He wants you to be free from having a terrible view of yourself or a terrible self-worth. 
He wants you to be freed from alcoholism or pornography or the, the pains of your past. God wants you to be free from all of it. But the enemy, he wants us to compromise. He wants us to stay enslaved just a little while longer, just another small piece of their life a little longer. And that's the danger with our pride. That's the danger with this world. That's the danger with the enemy. All three of them are against us. But again, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Again, family, may we follow God with everything and do not compromise. Don't compromise. There are people that, there are men that are pastors, there are men that are leaders, and then they start compromising. They start giving up little things. And then years go on, and it's all crashing and burning. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus here, he gives us two simple commandments, right? The whole law and just, hey, I want you to do two things. I, I could do that, right? Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With some of your soul? No, with all your soul. With some of your mind? No, with all of your mind. With half of your strength? No, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Again, we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. No compromise. That's what God's asking of us. And does that sound crazy? Like, whoa, he's, he's on some crazy power trip, right? You ladies, when you get married, how much love do you want from your husband, right? How much faithfulness do you want from your spouse? Honey, 90% okay. 10%, you could run off, do whatever you want, hang out. You could sleep. I just want you sleeping in the house 90% of the year. The other 10%, you could sleep over whatever guy's houses you want. It's okay. It'd be madness. And that's what the Lord asks of us, family. Any and every compromise from loving him with everything is sin and disobedience. Don't compromise. Be that holy priesthood, that nation that is set apart for the Lord. Again, the bravery of Moses. He knows he's on God's side. He's seen these miracles. He's seen the miracle of Goshen being completely protected from all the cockroaches and flies and beetles. And he's seeing the Lord and what he's doing. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness only, right? Compromise again. You shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, indeed, I am going out from you and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let, now Moses is being completely honest with him. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Again, Pharaoh, he's saying, I'm going to let you go. Like he's already said it several times. Moses is being honest. Hey, you've said this before. Don't be deceitful. Submit to God. Let go of the people and you'll be free from all these problems. Verse 30. So Moses, he goes out from Pharaoh. He entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Again, the miracle here. Of course, before they had cockroaches, beetles, flies all around. But now, after God does his thing, there's not a single fly around there. You could leave your food out for days and nothing's going to touch it, right? You could go down to the ranch, to the cows, the cattle, and there's no bugs anywhere. What would that cause in you? Verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Again, all that noise, all that humming, all that buzz, and now there's just quietness. There's peace. There's remedy of not being covered in it, right? Some of you ladies, you won't go to sleep. If you see that one roach in your house, you're not going to sleep till you find it, right? Now there's swarms everywhere, but now God, he takes care of all of them in an instant. The peace of God that should be there. And yet Pharaoh, he hardened his heart again. And family, this is the danger. When God frees us from something, we're given an option. Humble yourself or harden your heart. The problem is whatever decision we make, next time it's going to be compounded, right? Compounded interest. Ask your, your CPA or Google later on, right? If you make that decision to humble yourself before the Lord now, guess what's going to be easier next time? To humble yourself again. And then what's going to be easier next time? To humble yourself again. If you decide to harden your heart against the Lord, guess what's going to be easier next time? 
to harden your heart a little more. And then after that, to harden your heart a little more. Next time, problems arise, two decisions, harden your heart a little more. George Alexander Chadwick, he says, The drunkard, the murderer himself, is a man who at first did evil as far as he dared. And then afterwards, he dared to do evil which he would have once shuddered at. Right? How does somebody get to that point? They don't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I'm going to give my whole life away to alcoholism. I'm just, you know, I just woke up. I feel like killing someone today. No, it goes unchecked. It goes unchecked. Small desires in the heart. Small sins. Right? How does a husband and wife that they're believers, they love the Lord, how do they get a divorce? It's a slow separation of being unwilling to humble yourself. Unwilling to say, I'm sorry. Unwilling to say, I forgive you. Unwilling to say, it's my fault. I did it. And the first time that happens, again, those two decisions, they're just going to continue to replicate more and more and more. And we may look at Pharaoh and look at him like he's some type of monster. But family, he's just like us. He's just like us. When we make that decision again today, maybe the Lord's impressing on your heart and your heart's beating like crazy. If you harden your heart today, it's going to be that much easier to harden your heart tomorrow and the next day. Again, the Lord, he wants to. God genuinely desires to free all of us. He desires, he hopes that no man would perish. That's God's desire. God's desire for Pharaoh was that he would humble himself and he would turn to him. God's desire for the nation of Israel is that they would be freed and be in the promised land. But the enemy, our pride, this world, it wages war against the Lord. So again, I don't know who you are this morning. Maybe you're, you've been just compromising. And you say, man, I haven't been that holy priesthood. I look just like the world. In fact, I'm jealous of some of the things that worldly people have more than I am of what holy people have. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've forgotten, right? As we read Romans chapter 8, the amount of blessings we have, so much that we have to be thankful for to the Lord, that we are loved by a perfect being, that he's never going to change He's not going to take heaven away from us. He's not going to desert us one day. He's always going to be there. His love is always going to be perfect. You remember that? Does that take root in our hearts? Have we forgotten the mercy that's been bestowed on us? That we've been freed from our sins. We've been freed from our chains. We've been given the power over sin. Does that not shake us to our core that we rejoice as we leave this place? Maybe we've forgotten. And this morning it's just, man... Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I want to humble myself. I don't want to make this twice as hard next time. Lord, I want all that you have for me. Again, that the Lord would do that work within our hearts and within our lives. The Lord, he's doing something special within our church. There's people getting saved. There's people rededicating their lives to God. There's new people coming to church that haven't stepped in church. They've been looking for a church like this, and they finally found it. He's doing special things. That's why there's so much opposition. That's why at times it's so scary. Our fears kick in and we think, man, I don't know if I should go to church, right? That we press on and we say, Lord, what do you have for me today?